1: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
0: On this episode, a self-taught metaphysician claims to have solved Einstein's unified field theory and cracked the secret of antigravity.
2: Whoever's out there listening, if you're a scientist, you have access to a strong magnetic field or a you know, magnetic system. Do the experiment in the book and you will see for yourself, your own eyes, that this works.
0: If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. patreon.com forward slash planet.
1: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres, Pursuing the truth wherever it leads.
0: Mark Fiorentino is standing by to solve some of the mysteries of the universe, including time travel and anti-gravity. Both are possible, he says. I hope you get a chance to listen to Coast to Coast AM tonight, the most listened-to late-night radio program in the entire world, and I'll be sitting in for George Norrie. Go to coasttocoastam.com for more information. Mark Fiorentino is a self-taught metaphysician who worked as an accomplished troubleshooter For high-tech companies like IBM and Harris government systems. He worked primarily as a computer and electronics technician and developed many award-winning state-of-the-art software programs that solved problems concerning failure analysis of electronic assemblies and computer systems. It was in the summer of 1964 when Mark was first introduced to Albert Einstein and the idea of the unified field theory. At that time, Mark was just nine years old but was greatly impressed by this man and his idea of unifying the forces of nature. He continued learning about Einstein and worked on developing his own theory of everything. And now, over 50 years later, he believes that dream has been realized. He's the author of Master of Reality, Super Relativity, Unified Field Theory. Mark Fiorentino, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you?
2: Thank you, Richard. It's nice to be here.
0: Tell me about your fascination with Albert Einstein. You were very young when you started to study Einstein and his theories.
2: Yes, uh, it happened because of uh, I was in catechism and the nuns asked us to uh, find a saint born on our birthday and make a report about it. So I tried to find a saint. There was no internet then, so I couldn't look it up that way. And... I went to my calendar in the kitchen and saw that albert einstein was born on my birthday so i said well that's who's going to be the report about so i went down to the encyclopedia britannica opened it up and i read about albert einstein but something caught my eye which was the unified field theory and when i read that i got to tell you something came over me and i says this really is important and this makes a lot of sense and since that time I've been reading about Einstein and the unified field theory for, well, the rest of my life. I was always thinking about it. It's a strange kind of a thing how I I was just so enamored with the whole idea.
0: Well, what's amazing is that that you were able to understand that at at such an early age, nine, ten years old. Uh, Were you you labeled as a gifted child?
2: Well, oddly enough, I, I... Kind of was, um, but I didn't realize it because nobody ever really came to me and said, "Hey, you know, you've scored very high <laughs> on these tests." Uh, I remember getting the test. A little, it's not an SAT, whatever they do in in elementary school where they give you the test and then they give you a chart at the end. And I remember looking at the chart and feeling a little bad because you know I had trouble seeing my graph because it was just this little red line that went across the top. And everybody else's chart had these bumps in it. And I said, well, I only got one little bump here that went down to like 80% or 88% in English, science, math. All the other ones were at 99. And that you know, I took that home thinking, well, that's good. Uh, 99 is a good thing. That seems good. And I didn't really make a big deal out of it. And my parents then, when they got these results, the school apparently called them and told them this. that I scored extraordinarily high, and then they started taking me. I remember as a child, they would take me to Princeton and, and um, some of the other
0: where Ivy he League taught, schools. Where he taught, where he taught,
2: yeah. Yeah, I know, it's where he taught, and uh, I wish... I was more aware of it at that time because I would have loved to have gone see his office, but unfortunately he died uh, one month, about thirty five days after I was born. Right, uh, just down the road from where I lived, actually, just about twenty minutes away, and um, and I was born on his birthday, strangely enough,
0: hmm.
2: and um, yeah, so I never got to meet him, but I would have loved to have gone gone see seen the house on Mercer Street and and uh just taking it all in but i I don't remember much of that day when they took me to the campus at princeton i was only around maybe nine or ten years old
0: still you know being born on his birthday um he, he dying just over a month after you were born you were in very close proximity without knowing it it's it's almost cosmic
2: Well, there's a lot of cosmic to my story. There's definitely two routes we can go on this show. I could tell you a lot of the psychic stuff that also helped guide me to this book, which took 45 years to get there. Or we can go into the discussion about the the theory itself. It's where whatever you want to go, whatever you want to know about.
0: Well, I'd like to start with some really... Basic fundamental questions about the nature of the universe, because as you and I were discussing off off uh, the air or before the uh, the recording, um, I mean I mean I'm fascinated by th- this stuff, but I I don't have the science background to fully understand it. Um, abo- although even without that, I I can appreciate the uh, there's a, there's a poetry to it and uh, it's uh, like the universe you know the equations uh, reflect that that beauty but let me start with you know the most famous equation in the world that everyone knows but probably few of us and i certainly include myself in that understand and that is e equals mc squared energy equals mass times the speed of light squared okay so we i know what that I know the equation, but I don't know really what that means. means.
2: yeah. well, basically uh, it's it's showing to the world that energy is equal to mass. So uh, in the particle world, there's some particles that have a a mass like Uh, behavior. And then there's other particles like the photon are very energetic. And because you're asking this question, I also ask it, what does that mean? All right, well, it's energy and mass are the same thing. Fine, but how does that transformation from one to the other happen? And that's what took me down the road to understand the unified field theory and that Here's something that's very important in this discussion. The unified field theory is really all about making electromagnetism and gravity emerge as aspects of a single fundamental field. So what we're talking about here basically is how does mass become energy or energy become mass? And that equation, I've played with it and tried to get it to do what I wanted, but it didn't. Quite work. It's like a special case. Uh, and I knew that there needed to be a better equation, and that equation is what I found and I put in my book.
0: Okay, so let me just go back to E equals MC squared for a moment. So does that mean that matter and energy are interchangeable? So if we have, let's say, on the one hand, we have a walnut, which has a certain mass, uh does that mean that the that, that walnut is the same as energy?
2: It's just in a different form. It's all has to do with the way the particles move. In my theory, that is exposed so that the particles that are in the walnut are generating mass. And there is a there must be an explanation for how they do that. And so, what I'm saying is that those particles are, are that are primarily are generating mass are the neutron and the proton, but within those particles are quarks. And those quarks are moving in a very special way. And that's where the mass is being generated. So, the energy is being used to create mass by the way the particles move within the ether or the the uh, fundamental field right or the space-time continuum whatever you want to call it there's a lot of names for it but that's the fundamental field and that's where the gravitational field is generated from so there the the energy is locked up in the form of mass by the way they well here's a i got to give you a, a line that describes this succinctly and perfectly so If you want to know how energy makes mass, it's because of the way they move within the ether, which is described by uh, fundamental unbalanced charges moving in an accelerated motion is what causes gravity. And how they do it is when they move in that way, they cause a contraction of space. So gravity in reality is a contraction of space.
0: So why do we have to square the speed of light when we're talking about energy equals mc squared why do we multiply the mass times the square of the speed of light
2: because it's a three-dimensional space we're dealing with and that that has to do with uh, i think it's a squared B squared equals C squared, it's the what's that the name of that formula? The quadratic equation. It's all about having to do with three dimensional space. If we were in a four dimensional space, then I guess it would be cubed. If we were you know, in a five dimensional space it would be so forth. But that's as I understand it, that's why it's squared. Okay. And and you're and you're asking good questions but you're analytically analyzing this whole thing and trying to determine and get an understanding. And that's what has to happen when somebody does a unified field theory or or attempts this. You have to make the equations conform to a mechanical model that has meaning.
0: Right, right. Um, So if we had, let's say, a piece of paper and we have all the atoms in that piece of paper, so the energy... I once read something like the energy in that piece of paper would be the equivalent of like something like 18 tons of TNT from a piece of paper. Uh, If we can figure out how to convert that energy, is that true?
2: Yeah, um, it's fortunately difficult, even in, in like in a nuclear explosion, just a small amount of the matter is converted into energy and look what the big bang you get out of that. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of a way that one could take um, a neutron or a proton and, and convert it to photons, and there's really not a way I can think of right off hand to convert that whole thing into photons. So if we were to convert massive particles directly all into photons, that would be a 100% conversion, and that would make for a massive explosion. But I don't, you know, there's fission. It does a little bit. Fusion gives off photons and a lot of light energy and so forth. But but it's not a hundred percent. If you could do that, then yeah, you would have massive explosions from just a little bit of matter.
0: Right. You mentioned uh, a big bang. I, I want to talk about uh, the big bang theory. It seems to me that this concept, this theory, is uh, in increasing increasing uh, danger of sort of collapsing uh there they have to plug in so many unknowns now into this equation to try and make it work uh which is kind of it seems to be going in the opposite direction uh the more the more <laughs> holes that you have to plug you, you you're supposed to be removing those where, where are we in terms of uh, or where are you at in terms of uh the viability of the big bang theory
2: uh yeah, it's a great question, and you're you're analyzing very well. Uh, that that theory is is essentially correct; the details are wrong, and so I, I go and I have three chapters in my book where I talk about cosmology and the Big Bang, and it, you have to break it down, and it's it's fairly um, complicated, I guess, to the average person. But basically. Uh, the, the things that they're prog- plugging into the equation primarily, which is the cosmological constant, which Einstein admitted was his biggest blunder, uh, it, that was put in there in order to explain a universe that's either f- contracting or expanding. And when the astronomers first came up with the discovery, they thought, that it's expanding, he plugged that in to make it so that it can expand. And now they're, they're reliving that uh, plug-in <laughs> and they're using it and saying that there's a, such a thing as uh, dark energy and that's causing the expansion. But in my theory, in my research and observations, uh, the acceleration of galaxies at the perimeter of the universe or the ones that are farther away from us, that acceleration isn't being caused by an expansion of space. I've entirely got that wrong. What's actually happening is those galaxies, and they're all moving in, like, different directions in big groups. And when you look at that, you'll always find they're moving towards something, something very large, dark, <laughs> which means that what's driving the acceleration that we're measuring is not an expansion of space, it's a collapse. They're heading toward black holes, our galaxy, is in a galaxy group that's all rushing toward uh, the great attractor. And so they're accelerating in that direction. And so it's not a mysterious dark energy that's causing the acceleration. It's the well-known force of gravity. And it's a much more sensible and what's actually happening explanation for, for these accelerations of all these galaxies all around our viewable universe. And some of these astronomers have even plotted it out and say, look, this group is going this way, there's a great attractor there, this group, and that's exactly what my theory predicted. And when I saw that, odds are if the, the, the universe is collapsing, then the speed of light should be slowing down. If the universe is expanding, the speed of light should be increasing. So I went, I said, all right, do a research. Let's see if anybody found that the speed of light is slowing down or speeding up. And sure enough, there's a guy that found that the speed of light over the centuries, every time they measurement, measure it, it seems to be slower than the last time they measured. And of course, nobody's really paid attention to this guy. His name is Barry Setterfield, uh, and he's in in poor health right now, uh, unfortunately, but um, he's on to something. But then all of a sudden in 1970 or so, the slowing of speed of light stopped and I got suspicious. I said, what? How could this be? And then I did more research and I found out they changed the way they measure the speed of light in the 70s. They stopped, they used to use a metal bar I uh, made of platinum of a very specific length, and it's in France. And it, you would set up your equipment, and you would measure that meter. And, um, and that's how you determined what the speed of light is. You would measure it across that very specific length. And they uh, got tired of doing that because, you know, the Bureau of Standards didn't like uh, every few years the speed of light was a different number always slower. So they said, we're not going to measure it that way anymore. Now what we're going to do is we're going to tune the equipment to this number that we declare is the speed of light. And from now on, it's always going to be that number. So we're not really going to measure the speed of light. We're going to adjust the length of the thing that we're measuring so that we get this number every time. So that explains why suddenly the speed of light measurements are steady again
0: very unscientific that's drawing the the bullseye around the arrow
2: it's uh it's all i found that on on curora a guy uh, was explained it in detail and i was i was very bothered by that because it's not good science and they'll never notice changes or make discoveries about that because the way they measure the speed of light now they tune the equipment if it goes out If it doesn't make the measurement they want, then there's something wrong with the equipment and they rebuild the equipment. There's other experiments where they're doing the same thing, trying to measure speed of light in a magnetic field. Well, they never get the answer they expect, so they give up after a while. They tear the equipment down and rebuild it and try again.
0: More of my conversation with Mark Fiorentino when Conspiracy Unlimited
1: returns.
0: One tablespoon of ESS-60 from C60 EVO helps keep me pain-free, energized, and mentally focused. And I'm sleeping so much better since I started taking ESS-60 back in November. ESS-60 is the consumable form of C60, the miracle molecule discovered by Nobel Prize-winning chemists in the 1990s. ESS-60 is a mega antioxidant. 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. Check out the Paris study, a peer-reviewed scientific study online, where ESS-60, suspended in olive oil, was fed to rats. The rats fed ESS-60 lived almost twice their normal lifespan. I can't sit here and tell you I'm going to live to be 112, but I'm 56 and I haven't felt this youthful, energized, and pain-free since I was in my 20s. ESS 60 from C60 Evo. If you want to discover the benefits of this amazing miracle molecule for yourself, go to the episode notes for this podcast and click on the link for C60Evo.com. And don't forget to use the code RS1SPEC when ordering and you'll receive an additional 5% off. ESS 60, the miracle molecule from C60 Evo. It's changed my life discover what it can do for you this product has not been evaluated by the fda and is not intended to cure diagnose or cure if you have a medical concern please consult your healthcare provider
1: theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyper dimensions here are just three of them conspiracy unlimited conspiracy unlimited conspiracy unlimited pretty cool huh uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is, we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Or something like that. I'll ask Richard later.
0: Mark Fiorentino, the author of Master of Reality, is here. I'd like to talk about gravity. Because it seems to me we can observe the effects of gravity, but I've always wondered, do we do we really know what it is?
2: Well, again, as modern-day scientists are concerned, yeah, we don't know what it is, except that I explain it in my book. I mean, that was the whole purpose of unifying the fields, is to you have to know how gravity works at the foundation, at the mechanical foundational level. So what I said earlier was gravity is a aspect of a fundamental field and that fundamental field has to be of something of substance so let's talk about what that substance is, it's a quasi elastic um, solid and there's loads of evidence to back up that statement and it's all in the book but um, you have to manipulate that solid, you have to deform it in order to get gravity and the way it's done, uh For gravity in my book, the way I explain it is basically these charges are moving in inside of the neutron and the proton, for example. They're moving in a trefoil pattern, like a knot, but at 99% the speed of light. And in so doing, they precess, they turn, they spin as they do it. And basically what you get is a spinning sphere. And then if you use the equation, of the inertial... The, uh, the formula for uh, measuring inertia, the, oh, I can't think of the name, I said it earlier, it, that will reveal that you have a spinning sphere that causes a contraction of space at the perimeter of that sphere. And gravity is basically, now we have this fundamental field, this substance that's out there in, everywhere in space. If you can cause it to contract, toward that spinning sphere, that is the gravitational field. It's, it's, um, it's a gradient field. So you can add particles together, and as you pack them together closely, all their little contractions add up and make this, this gravitational field stronger and stronger. So what we have, what gravity really is, is a contraction of, of space, which is caused by the rapid motion of the unbalanced charges. They're the ones that cause the contraction of space. And Einstein discovered this. This was his happiest thought. That's where I got the idea. I just applied it to particles instead of using a spinning disk as he did in his uh, um, discovery. That's that's what he... uh, it's, It's really saying that acceleration, which he said is the equivalence principle, acceleration is the same thing as gravity. Now I'm telling you why acceleration causes the gravity physically it causes space to contract so that's what gravity is so now you and i we know what gravity is and whoever's listening actually knows what it is it's a contraction of space caused by the motion of unbalanced charges accelerated motion of unbalanced charges that's all it is
0: hmm so Gra- gravity, the effect of gravity is instantaneous, correct? No. It's not. Ah. No, no.
2: Uh, it, it, it's determined by the propagation speed of the media, uh, which is the speed of light. And then we could talk about, well, why that number? Why is it the speed of light? Why is it this number and not something else? And that was determined by James Clerk Maxwell. Who discovered this equation, which I think is actually more important than E equals MC squared, is uh, the speed of light, c, is equal to the square root of one over permittivity times permeability. It's just that simple. You know, it's not even a one-inch-long <laughs> equation. And if you adjust permittivity and permeability, which are properties of the physical space It's a real thing of substance. If you adjust those, you will adjust the speed of light. And those things have to really to do with the density of space. So we're talking about a metric of space that has to be manipulated somehow. And it can be done. So you can change or we can change the speed of light by manipulating those two properties.
0: Ah, so, you know, one of my, my favorite topics is is time travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then what does this mean in terms of breaking the light speed barrier?
2: Well, that's a good question. And um, I did some research into that aspect. How fast can we go? Uh, when I wrote the last chapter that I was told to do right, uh, which I didn't initially want to write, oh, second to the last chapter, which is about Stargates, which talks about time travel and dimensional travel and um, if you want to go back in time then you're going to have to figure out a way to move light photons faster than the speed of light and actually this has been achieved there's been, and I've been reading about them in a research gate uh, there's uh, material scientists and physicists who've made this material it's called a left-handed material or a metamaterial. Uh, a metal material has unusual properties It is just the permittivity and permeability within them somehow they configure the the atoms and the molecules in such a way that there's uh, some sort of ion channel built up or something of this nature in theory what's happening inside of this material is when they, they shine light into it or or within it it, goes to when they adjust the, the permittivity and permeability to zero, the light within this material theoretically is going infinitely fast. And they're making, they're making stuff with this, this metamaterial. And you will find in your UFO uh, documents when they actually find a piece, a real piece of UFO, it's constructed with in a format that is a metamaterial. That's a strange coincidence. Mm. So, so what I'm saying is, not only can we break the speed of light, but we can break the speed of light to whatever value we want to go. We, and it has to be that way. We have to be able to get to other star systems to pr- preserve our species. We, we can't just stay on this planet. This planet has a time limit, and the clock is ticking. And uh, if we're to, we must evolve and stop being terrestrial beings and become celestial beings. And the way to do that is to achieve the technology of going faster than the speed of light and not just by a little bit. It takes like over 4.2 years to go to the nearest star at the speed of light. That's impractical. We can't do that. We, we need to go thousands of times faster than the speed of light to get to a star. Right, right. And and this is how you can do it.
0: Well, just getting back to time travel for a moment and the idea of traveling back in time. um, One might say, well, if time travel is going to be possible ever, that means we we should be visited now by time travelers, except doesn't it depend upon when the time travel device is created and turned on? So if it's turned on tomorrow... That means in the future, no one could travel further back in time than August the 5th, 2020. Is that reasoning correct?
2: (laughs) Uh, Time travel is paradoxical. It's very tricky. Uh, All I can say about that is this. Uh, Are you familiar with the Philadelphia experiment? Oh,
0: yes, yes.
2: Are you familiar with the Montauk Project? Yes. Well, those were the first attempts at interdimensional travel and time travel Uh, you know I'm not a witness I can't bear testimony to whether these things happened or not I suspect that they did and I can tell you right now that if you're going to make a Stargate that does those sort of things you want to go backward and forward in time whatever which I highly recommend you do not do back in time is very bad and in my book I just come out and say don't please don't do it government
0: Because of the grandfather it, it's,
2: paradox, just uh, you can mess up the timeline very badly. And uh, now there's people all over the world reporting about what do they call that? The Mandela effect. Yes. And they're, they're swearing things are different than what they remember. And this may be an indication that uh, they are doing time travel uh, and experimenting with it. And uh, odds are they're not very good at it so it's a dangerous thing to do but it can be done and I think it's being done already do I have direct eyewitness accounts no but the people who who know about the Montauker project and who and there is there's a group of them Uh, they talk about it that they were part of it the experiment whatever say that's actually old technology. It's based on magnetic resonance. Now they're using the metamaterials I just described to you earlier, and they're using it. Well, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they're they're using it in a um, a device. It's called a um, fractal lens, mm-hmm. and this accelerates the light going through it to uh speeds beyond the speed of light when it comes out of there it creates a shock wave uh when it hits the you know the space around the frame or whatever and you can tune it like a radio to wherever you want to go in time or space that's what i hear and certainly that's the way i described the the invention that i put in my book that that's how it would work so i'm guessing they're using that is that the slip wave
0: the slip wave spatial bias drive
2: no that's that's the anti-gravity drive drive ah. the slip wave spatial bias drive uses magnetism only high magnetics is the road to anti-gravity it always has been and I think the UFO community has known about that for many years they just didn't know how or why magnetism does the anti-gravity field which I call the inverse hyperbolic field um, the slip wave is, I modeled after the photon, how the photon works. I mean, really, physicists don't know why the photon moves or how it moves. It does, it has momentum, but they can't tell you where it comes from. But it's, uh, it's, uh, it's an autonomous motion. It's separate and it's special relativity and the Michelson-Morley experiment proved that the, elect- the photon moves independent of any frame of reference. It, no matter – if you're going to use that to measure uh, something, uh, the ether wind or whatever, you're, you're not going to be able to do it because it always moves relative to every other moving system at the speed of light. So it's useless for a Michelson-Morley experiment.
0: Okay. Um, so I don't want to get uh, too out over our, our skis here, but the, the, the slip wave spatial bias drive that you described – uh, yeah. Is that in any way related to Thompson, Townsend, Brown's experiment with anti-gravitics?
2: His used uh, uh, it was very ingenious. He used um, condensers, electrostatic field, which is another version. Of, oh, how do I describe this? Electrostatic fields, charges, are in, spatial inversions or twists of space. So they create. Um, uh, a charge field around them that's uh, going inward and uh, it causes a, a slight stretching of space this is going to be complicated <laughs> but it causes a stretch uh, a stretching of space and also there's a pressure that builds up when you you have the charges build up on the plates of the condenser so it's, that pressure is pushing so that type of mode of operation or that type of method of, of propulsion will only achieve no greater than the speed of light uh, in order to uh, use the slipway bias field it surrounds the entire craft with an intense gradient magnetic field and so everything inside of that bubble is disconnected, you might say, from space, which allows it to not have inertial effects and not have any of the problems with Lorentz transformations, no, no shrinkage, uh, no time dilation. Every, you're immune to all of that within that spatial bias drive technique. But Townsend and his, uh, his, um, his method was using just electrostatic charges and fields.
0: And, um, I mean, Boeing, back in the 1950s, uh, said that they were on the cusp uh, of, of figuring out anti-gravitics. And then all of a sudden, I think in the late 1950s, maybe 59, maybe 60, like an iron curtain came down. It was this total media blackout about what Boeing was doing with regards to anti-gravity. So what, right. what happened? They figured it out or did they hit a brick wall? What happened?
2: Oh, I think they've known uh, already since mid-50s, maybe early 60s. Um, well, here, why, is, why keep it secret? Why keep the alien secret? Very simple reason. I mean, there's two reasons that are put out there. There's the one that most people say that if we knew about... Uh, aliens, we'd panic. Uh, And so the aliens and anti-gravity are kept secret. The other one that I I feel is the true reason is that anti-gravity technology gives the Americans a strategic military advantage, a severe, (laughs) strong military advantage. He who rules the skies controls everything. And that technology, as any naval pilot can tell you, or Air Force pilot can tell you, it could literally fly circles around our fastest jets. It can perform maneuvers that would kill a a person. You know, you can't go from like three or four hundred miles an hour to 50,000 miles an hour in less than a second and survive. Uh, Not with a jet. (laughs) Uh, but you can with the spatial the slip wave spatial drive uh, that is entirely possible
0: so the the slip wave spatial bias drive that you're describing um, is that is that uh, back engineered or from a crashed UFO or is that something that we figured out? I say we we humans, we figure it out on our own.
2: I figured out this nobody really is aware of the model that i have in my book we back engineered I'm, I'm what i'm saying is i would bet big money that ufo's use the same technology i'm describing to you right now i'm just describing how it works uh, we know they use magnetism and i'm just the slip wave is just the explanation for how it works mechanically in space. So, yeah, we reverse-engineered from crash. You know, once again, I'm not a personal eyewitness. I'm not a spy or anything. This is me telling you from what I've read about and what I've seen on television and all the many shows and so forth. It's my belief, yes, that we reverse-engineered from crash, crash spacecraft, which no doubt they found uh, the outer part was... Surrounded with uh, a set of coils, magnetic coils, uh, probably superconductor technology, room temperature, which is important. And I did some research into that, and I found that the Air Force was very interested in anybody doing room temperature superconducting experiments and high magnetic experiments. There for a while, the Air Force was, was in every high magnetics lab in the country. And anybody who had any ideas or interest or, or knowledge in high-powered magnetics, they were interested in. And that's no coincidence.
0: So does that mean, do you think, that uh, we had, for example, the, this Tic Tac UFO uh, incident that was captured by a, a, a Navy pilot uh, on his gun camera? Uh, that was f- associated with the U- the USS Nimitz off the coast of uh, California back in two thousand and four, and these uh, these tic tap, tic tac shaped uh, objects that were performing maneuvers that that, that you just described, mm-hmm. um, are they are they extraterrestrial or are they some secret air force or navy um, creation?
2: Well. Um- it could be either way. It's 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 hard to tell. Oh, the one thing that makes me think that they're probably extraterrestrial is that they seem to be going to an underwater base off the coast of Mexico, which I suppose we could have built. But you know, I haven't heard any rumors on that. So it makes sense to me that the aliens probably have had for many, many, many centuries, thousands of years under underground and underwater bases. And there's been rumors of that also going sure. around. So, if I had to guess, I would say that those were alien, but, you know, it also crossed my mind, but, hey, let's just test our, our pilots out and see how they react to these unidentified flying objects and see how what they can do and what they can't do and, you know, just kind of test how they interact with each other. I mean, that's a possibility too. Uh, and so they don't really, the Air Force or whoever has these UFOs just, you know, puts them in these situations where they encounter our jets and they see what our jets can do and what they can't do because whatever we can do, maybe other countries can do too. But doesn't seem like it's really possible for our jets to really shoot them down or <laughs> to stop them in any way then
0: right. I don't see that happening but you're saying that the, the United States government the Pentagon uh, they have this technology or a, a variation of it
2: I believe they do
0: right so if that's the, the case uh, and I understand you know they want to keep their superiority over uh, adversaries and so forth, so they're not going to make this knowledge of public knowledge. But they could take a, 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 just a small aspect of that, for example, and, and make a Boeing 747 incredibly fuel efficient. Why don't they throw us a bone, at least in that regard?
2: <laughs> that's, that's what I'm trying to go for. That's why in the last, everybody listen clear, carefully now. That's why in the last chapter of my book I say to do this experiment that proves that high magnetics can uh, lead to gravity shielding and gravity propulsion. Just do that experiment. Whoever's out there listening, if you're a scientist, you have access to a magnetic, strong magnetic uh, field or you know magnetic system. Do the experiment in the book and you will see for yourself your own eyes that this works and then the mystery can write it up write it up in a journal publish it, many people need to do this and you gotta keep the the government out of it because there has been people that have discovered this already there's Eugene Podlakov and Ning Li are two examples of people that saw rotational um, high-speed rotations of of superconducting material seems to cause a a loss of weight of things that are suspended above that rotating superconductor. Uh, This is a classic example of magnetism is affecting gravity, and more experiments need to be done. These things need to be written up, and this needs to be brought into into the foreground so that, you know, Boeing... There's so many great technologies we can build. A super ambulance, that's in my book. Imagine being able to get to a person in under a minute versus having to go through traffic and everything to get them to save their life. We can transport materials to a a disaster zone in a matter of minutes uh, instead of days or weeks. You just load up the thing and fly across the water and be there in no time at all. There's so many benefits. And Star we can travel to the stars we can you know what you could have lunch on the moon you can have a base built there it would be easy to get there you can have excursions there you know you could see what it's like on moon or the Mars Mars takes us on a rocket over six months to get there it's intolerable we could get there in under 15 minutes with the slipway bias drive or a UFO whatever you want to call it <laughs> how wonderful would that be? We could start to colonize Mars if we wanted to. It would be very easy to go back and forth. There's so many benefits to the world. The freedom and, and the the abilities we'll have to, you know, handle and, and experience life at such a, a great higher level and, of enjoyment and, and peace. I, I just see only good things can happen if we make wise choices about this technology right. that we could have
0: and and we and you're saying we do have but they're not sharing it with f- no. for the benefit of humanity and in the meantime they are well up until recently uh, well even the russians are still doing this the chinese they're sending they're sending uh, astronauts uh, up in space using rocket fuel and how many <laughs> astronauts have died uh, as a result, even though it was all unnecessary, it's the all the space programs are are window dressing.
2: Yes, they're they're doing that because they can't tip off you know that we have this technology. You know, they're not going to use it in a war unless their backs to the wall, uh, and you know somebody launches a bunch of missiles or something, and we have to take them all out quickly. Uh, that that UFO technology is is in reserve. It's a last chance or a last or They're probably using it to explore space now. As as we talk, they've probably already been to other planets and, and um, other star systems. And you know, they're doing that all in 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 secret. And who knows? Maybe they have. Uh, they're talking to uh, a lot of alien species. And look at all the great things we could do if we could talk to these other alien species and get their medical knowledge and and all their other types of technology we could we could really turn this into a utopian world what a wonderful thing that could be if we just stop doing what we've been doing our whole existence which is warring and uh, you know we're looking out for the enemies i mean of course we have to at this point still have a defense and everything you, you never know there are there is evil out there and so we have to be prepared and i understand that but at some point we got to open up and maybe the government is going to do that now the whole thing with them releasing this information about the Tic tacs out, out west that uh, gives me some hope that maybe they're coming around to the point where they are going to make an announcement at some point
0: so the, the slip wave spa, uh, spatial bias drive you, you've it sounds like you've open sourced that.
2: Yeah, by talking about it, I guess you can. Uh, I mean that's what a person does when they present a theory. This is one aspect of my theory. It, it, I discovered it by discovering how particles move. Once I understood that, it's, it's the same kind of inventive process that the Wright brothers used to discover how to make an airplane. You study the birds and how they fly, how you cause lift across the wings. It's all about pressure gradients. Uh, it's the same thing in a slip wave. There's a pressure gradient inside of the slip wave which is a magnetic gradient field which causes a pressure gradient and that's what causes motion. You need a change in pressure. And so I just did the same thing the Wright brothers did, except I applied it to how particles move. Then once I saw what method they used, I said, well, we can do the same thing with a magnetic field because a magnetic field stretches space. The stronger it is, the more it stretches space. And when you stretch space, you decrease its density. And so there's a pressure gradient that'll form. So if you have, on one end, the basic explanation of the field is you have a strong magnetic field in the front, then a stronger one in the next coil, a stronger one in the next coil, and a really strong one at the end of the ship, the back end. And that thing will rocket forward. You'll have canceled gravity, and at the same time, you can use it for propulsion. It's, basic, it's really a simple mechanism
0: right I'm just wondering though also the uh, sort of open sourcing it and inviting people to pick up the ball and run with it whether that's also kind of a personal security measure because once you open source it uh, whoever might not want this to get out really you know why why bother with you why you know you're no longer a threat
2: that's what my advisors tell me is true I have to come out that's why I'm doing this one of the main reasons I'm doing this, I have to get it out there. Kind of, you know, I, I don't even want to talk about it because it makes me nervous. But you, yeah, you understand, right? That. Right. You, you said it right. I'm, I will say no more there.
0: Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Um, final question. This is a big one, and and this we'll have to do a part two at some point because this leads us into another whole area in the book and that has to do with psychic abilities and so forth. But let me right. just touch on it because a lot of people in, in that supposedly are affiliated with Majestic 12 and, and others, even I think Ben Rich from Skunk Works alluded to this, they've said, a number of them, if you want to understand how UFOs operate, you have to understand psychic ability. And which leads me to ask you about this, you know, it, the observer effect. You mentioned, you know, particles. And we know from the, uh, the double slit experiment, for example, that, that by simply observing, uh, the act of observing can change how these particles behave. So which leads me then to, I guess, question or speculate whether that observer effect uh, might have something to do with UFO propulsion, given to given what Ben Rich and others have said. You have to understand psychic ability.
2: I'm going to say that I think that's disinformation.
0: Okay,
1: All I,
2: right. I, I, as I understand how, how I believe they work, uh, do do aliens have psychic ability? They have tremendous psychic ability, and if you believe some of the things that Matthew Stryber has said, they have extraordinary God-like powers. uh, And and we would too, if we were 10 million more years advanced. Uh, Just think of the psychic powers that we have now. Uh, Amplify that by a million or 10 million more years of evolution. Uh, I think we'll be able to move objects. Uh, you know, telekinesis, all that stuff, and maybe some psychic, maybe there's other modes of operation where you could, by sheer mental power um, move and, and, and create uh, stargates or whatever, and that's possible, that, that's beyond me, that's beyond my theory, I, I've come up with a practical method that's doable with technology there may be, maybe there, are other, maybe there are other methods that use psychic abilities, um, but I think for the most part, it's still, because magnetism keeps showing up. Uh, I can give you examples of like when the Air Force used to go in Project Blue Book, they would send a, a guy out with a magnometer. Well, already you're admitting that UFOs exist. Why are you sending a guy out with a magnometer to measure the magnetic fields at the landing site? And 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 why why I remember reading one report where they picked up a blade of grass where the the uh, landing site was and it was magnetized. It takes hundreds of teslas to do that. Grass doesn't magnetize easily. <laughs> it, to me, there's just no doubt that the vast majority, and then we we've probably been visited by hundreds of species, alien species. The vast majority of them are using uh, the slip wave technology, the spatial bias drive. There may be some that are, you know, hundreds of millions of years more advanced and they can do it mentally. It's possible, but I don't know. I have no direct knowledge of that, but I do think it's within the realm of possibility.
0: All right, well, uh, to be continued, as they say, where do we get a copy of Master of Reality?
2: Well, the easiest place is, uh, well, it's on Amazon, but it's kind of hard to find right now. So it's easier just to go to my site, www.super-relativity.com, and it's right on the front page. You know, click the link, go to Amazon. If you want a signed copy in the United States only, I, I can mail you a signed copy and, and stamp it and so forth. Uh, but those are the two places uh, I have some here. Uh, And then there's Amazon.
0: Terrific. And uh, listeners to this podcast can find the links and so forth in uh, the episode notes. Mark, what an extreme pleasure. We'll have to do this again soon.
2: I would love to. Definitely.
0: Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a flash to fill you in on an upcoming episode. Hey there, I'm hard at work on another edition of Inner Sanctum, my free monthly newsletter. Inner Sanctum features my monthly brief, a column of my thoughts and opinions on what's happening in the world. It features a spotlight on a past guest, a look ahead to an upcoming episode of my weekly syndicated radio program, The Conspiracy Show. It features a look at this month in conspiracy and UFO history and my Conspiracy Unlimited podcast, Episode Pick of the Month, and so much more. To get your free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, delivered to your email inbox, Just go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. Scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on Inner Sanctum and register. It's fast, easy, and again, absolutely free. Coming up next time, world traveler, adventurer, author, Brad Olson, explains why everything we think we know about reality is a lie.
2: It occurred to me that many of the subjects that I'm covering, no 19th century esoterist would have any idea that this would be happening to us. Transhumanism, geoengineering, and how the United States has been hijacked since the act of 1871, which made the USA a corporation. A lot of people don't even realize that their social security number, for example, why our names are all in caps, have been signed over to this corporation. And it's really, when you get down to
0: it, the gist of what's going wrong in the world today. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now.